Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. I'm glad to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got quite the item to show you. If you'll take a look over here, I've uh, procured some papers uh, as I shuffle through these. Uh, they look to me to be some sort of schematics, some sort of engineering designs for something that is called by some the Lamarchand configuration by others the lament configuration you'll see here there are scales and sizes schematics and measurements for all the pieces of what is a puzzle box now this is a puzzle box that one probably would not want to open because as I look here on this last page are these some sort of runic incantations uh, whatever this puzzle box is used for it can be for no good and that is the heart of the latest episode of odds bodkins curiosity shop so let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new hulu original hellraiser Now, Hellraiser is one of those film franchises that I've had a little bit of a, I don't want to say a love-hate relationship. It's more of a love-just-don't-care relationship. Uh, I, I'm a fan of the original short story or novella, if you will, by Clive Barker, The Hellbound Heart, which is a, a great story. I thought... Uh, the original Hellraiser movie was a good representation of that because, of course, Clive Barker wrote it and directed it. Not a scary film. I, I found it funny. One of my co-workers at the radio station I work at, uh, he posted on one of our station's Facebook pages asking people, what is a horror movie that you have seen that was so scary that you never want to watch it again? And he posed that question to the listeners, but he also gave his uh, thoughts on the movie that scared him so much he never wanted to watch the movie again. And he said Hellraiser. And I'm like, you probably have never actually seen Hellraiser, have you? You're just saying that because you think it sounds really good. Because Hellraiser is not a scary movie. The Cenobites in and of themselves are creepy and unnerving. And Doug Bradley is just, I mean, he is the iconic. He is the quintessential pinhead. And we'll, we'll kind of talk in, about the comparisons, not even really comparisons, but the, the different vision they saw for pinhead with this new 2022 version of Hellraiser. But, but Doug Bradley is really, to me, he is the quintessential pinhead and I really thought uh, Hellraiser, the first one, the original Hellraiser, was, uh, well, not a really scary movie, was a really good horror movie. It was really, like I said, unnerving and made you feel uncomfortable. And I think that in and of itself is a hallmark of a good horror movie. If it at least makes you uncomfortable, uh, I don't want it full of a bunch of jump scares. It was, it was the kind of horror movie that worked on uh, a different level than that just physical... Bam, in your face, here's something scary. Uh, it worked on a more cerebral level of horror. And of course, Hellraiser Part 2 was... Hellraiser Part 2, Hellbound to Hellraiser 2, was a... Uh, for me, it was just a fucking mess. It was so... 
like if they just had a bunch of different ideas and filmed them all and then just crammed them all together to make a movie. Uh, the only the only time Hell, Hellbound Hellraiser 2 got interesting for me was about the last 20 minutes when Kirsty uh, runs into Pinhead and the Cenobites and she, you know, she has the interaction with Pinhead and she shows him the picture of his former self. That's where it kind of got interesting. But part two was just a, a freaking mess. Part three was okay. And then after that, it all really felt kind of uh, direct-to-video quality. And, and the quality of Hellraiser dropped off. And then they had a couple of the Hellraiser movies where they didn't even use Doug Bradley. They used other guys that just, it just was not the same. So when I found out they were doing this, it's not even a remake. It's not a remake. It's not a sequel. Although I think this new Hellraiser could live in the same universe as the original Hellraisers, at least the first uh, couple Hellraisers, if it wasn't for one aspect of it, which we'll kind of talk about here in a little bit. Um, uh, but but I don't see why this can't exist in the same uh, universe as the other. I don't, you know, I, if they were going to do that, which I don't think they are, uh, you would have to explain why there's a new pinhead. But uh, but this isn't a sequel. This isn't a reboot, or not a reboot, but it's not a remake of the original Hellraiser. It is a reimagining of the franchise. Uh, David Bruckner and the writers of the screenplay have taken the idea of Hellraiser, taken the idea of Clive Barker's The Hellbound Heart, and re-envisioned it and are, are retelling a story based on these these characters, so to speak, at least the Cenobites. So with that being said, uh, there's a lot of changes to how things work with the uh, with the movie, with the Cenobites, with the the box. That some work for me, some don't. And, and we're going to kind of talk about all of this. I'm going to try not to be too spoilery until we get to the end where I'll, I'll do like a like I've been doing kind of a spoilery section where I talk a little more in depth about uh, my thoughts on on different aspects of the movie and the story that they told in this movie that didn't I, I just didn't really care for it. It didn't really improve on the original idea. So we'll talk about that as well. So we open this movie with this character, Roland Voigt. He's a businessman, a rich uh, rich business type. You see him, he's having this big like sex party at his mansion, and he has this woman who's kind of helping him, and she brings uh, a young man to Roland Voigt in this, this secluded area of the mansion, and we are introduced to the... Uh, the box, although it is in a different shape, a different configuration. And this Roland Voigt character essentially is getting people to solve each step of the box uh, for him. So he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to reap the, uh, the chains of opening the box or solving a different configuration of the box. Somebody else gets that, but he is looking to reap the benefits of the, the ends of of what it means to open all the configurations of the box and that that kind of ties into how they've changed what the box is uh, so to speak and we'll talk about that in the more spoilery section but uh, but we see this we see this young man gets what happens when you when you open the box it's actually a very uh, unnerving scene because they do uh, play into the idea that uh, things are happening when they talk about the chains especially in the short story and uh, you talk about the chains hooking into you and and pulling you and 
uh, it, it's something where the person it's happening to, you imagine they see it, but to the naked eye of anybody else, you probably don't see it. And we kind of get that sort of scene here. It kind of reminded me of scenes from A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, especially Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I think of specifically where you see those scenes where somebody is dreaming and to everybody not in the dream, all they see is the uh, person in the dream reacting to it and moving according to how Freddy is killing them. But to the person in the dream, they see exactly what is happening to them it was that kind of feel and it's actually really creepy a, a real unnerving and unsettling way to to open this movie especially if you've never watched any of the hellraiser movies this is going to be a great way to to sink the hooks into you as to what the hell is going on what the hell just happened but then we fast forward to six years later and this roland voigt character has been missing presumed dead for the past six years and that's when we were introduced to the riley character played by uh, odessa ozion and this is a character she's she's our main character she's the person we're essentially seeing this movie from the perspective of she is uh, a drug addict uh trying to get into recovery but she doesn't try uh, very hard when things get get kind of difficult uh she's living with her brother and his boyfriend and another roommate she has a boyfriend named trevor and, and we'll kind of get to all these and it just uh, it's not that odessa zion did a bad job i thought she did a really good job with this character the quality of acting she put into this is probably the reason why you did feel some uh sympathy towards her and that you did feel like okay yeah maybe i do want her to to get through this but just the way the character is written it's not a very likable character it's not a character that you want to completely sympathize with and i think that was probably a big failing of this movie in general is that it wasn't like some of those friday the 13th of the 80s where like all the camp counselors were just a bunch of assholes that you wanted to see die it wasn't that bad but it wasn't like uh nightmare on elm street dream warriors where all these kids are in this hospital and you're rooting for all of them even the dorky kid that wants to be a wizard this is kind of a gray ambiguously gray area where uh, they're not bad people but they're not wholly likable or sympathetic and you just don't care about any of them riley has a very strained relationship with her brother matt and and matt's probably the most sympathetic character because here's this brother that uh and we'll kind of get into the actor and the, the character but here's this brother that's been trying to to help her he's given her a place to live he's you know he's covering her share of the rent when she she doesn't have any money because you know she's having a hard time after being in recovery getting a job and and, and making ends meet and and he gets to the breaking point where he thinks she's she's been drinking and, and drugging again and he kicks her out and, and you you feel the pain in this guy and you feel sorry that you know she is putting him in this situation and brandon flynn plays the matt character uh, a lot of these actors in this movie i'm not really that familiar with other than maybe like jamie clayton uh i'm not familiar with a lot of these actors they've not done a lot of things that i've seen and and Brandon Flynn is one of those, but I really enjoyed his performance. What little he 
he got to do in this because the the Matt character is not around uh, for very long before he disappears, and that really is kind of the catalyst for Riley to to vault this story forward. But but I thought uh, Brandon Flynn did a did an excellent job at, with the Matt character, which, like I said, probably the one character that you really did kind of sympathize with, which which made Riley's pursuit to find him uh that kind of gave her a little more sympathy than she probably the character probably deserved there's a few other main characters we're going to kind of talk about uh adam Faison plays colin matt's boyfriend he's a, and this is a character it's kind of it's kind of complicated because the colin character is a nice guy he's trying to to help riley and matt's relationship He's not a bad guy. You're not rooting against him because he's a bad guy. He's actually a really good guy. The, the calling character is a very caring guy. He's just not just not very bright. Uh, there's moments in later in the movie when this all kind of culminates at the Roland Voigt mansion. Uh, there's just scenes where like they need to be quiet and he says something to Riley and and then the shit ensues. Uh, there's a situation where he should be running, but he trips over nothing and then just sits there cross-legged waiting for something bad to happen to him. It's just uh, the character just wasn't written very intelligently. And being a nice guy is only going to get you so far in the sympathy department. When you start doing stupid shit, that's when I'm like, okay, one of the Cenobites can take him out. That's that's fine by me. There's another roommate, Nora, who was just there simply as cannon fodder for the Cenobites. Or as I was watching one review by uh, Jeremy Johns where he called him Cenobite, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> Very apropos, because that is all she was there for, is just to be somebody to die. And then there's the Trevor character. That is uh, Riley's boyfriend, played by Drew Starkey. Again, not an actor I'm at all familiar with i know if you've watched that uh, amazon prime show the terminalist uh, i know he's on a few episodes of that he was in one episode of doom patrol but i don't really remember that episode or that character but even he was a character that uh he did a good job the actor did a good job drew starkey did a good job with this character but the character is just not that likable he's also in recovery uh he's the one that gets riley into all this mischief by introducing her to the puzzle box that kind of sets all the the bad stuff in motion again not a bad character not a bad guy just not a very responsible guy when, when dealing with somebody who's in recovery and then we find out later on that there is a a bit of a twist with his character that makes things make a little more sense. And it will shape or reshape what you think of the character, whether this character is a, a good guy or a bad guy. Now, one of the things I really dug about this movie is that in the true fashion of Hellraiser, at least the first one, uh, there weren't a lot of jump scares. All of the horror came from disturbing imagery. 
It came from the atmosphere that's created. It came from the very slow reveal of the Cenobites. You got a lot of images, like misty images, where you're almost seeing a, a silhouette of the Cenobites in the unfocused background. And then you'd see a little bit more of them. And then you see a little bit more of them. And then you see a little bit more of them until, bam, we are introduced to the Cenobites proper. So that was really creepy. And the Cenobites, the, the new design on the Cenobites, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I, I think I am a little more partial to the original design of the Cenobites as described by Clive Barker in The Hellbound Heart, where they're wearing this, this black leather and parts of their flesh are intertwined with the, the straps of leather. It was a very BDSM uh, look to these creatures that uh, really do not differentiate between pleasure and pain. And they take you to the the very extremes of, of experience and sensation. I think I like that look better. To me, it feels less creature design and more of a being from another dimension that this is just how this is how the style has evolved they've got to this point where you know uh, style and the flesh kind of mingle in together uh, the creature design on this new uh, this 2022 version of hellraiser uh while I, I do prefer the other this was really cool as well because they've gone away from the black patent leather uh, outfits and their outfits are all made of flesh their flesh maybe other people's flesh who knows but it, it all involves uh, flesh being peeled back and pinned somewhere else and it's just a really creepy disturbing look where you've got this flesh peeled back and you see the red muscles underneath and the blood underneath uh, that kind of beige tanny look of flesh juxtaposed against the red of of what's under the flesh the muscles and, and the blood uh, it, it just made for uh, a very stunning visual but it also made just for a bizarre uh, you could almost you know when you ever have like a hangnail and and you're you know, trying to pull it off your finger and like half your skin peels back into the knuckle you know looking at those uh redesigned cenobites in this movie this this 2022 remake of hellraiser you could feel that pain when you saw like skin peeled back like a like a strip of skin peeled back it was quite disturbing and i think that really kind of lent itself to what the cenobites are cenobites shouldn't be monsters running around chasing people they're there they show up they they give you choices or sometimes they don't give you choices and then they uh, eviscerate you or they they torture you or what have you they're a very cerebral monster or bad guy if you will and and when you see him with this new design it just kind of ratchets up that kind of uncomfortable feeling you get that unnerved feeling you get when you when you see the Cenobites uh, whether it's in the original Hellraiser or this 2022 reimagining of Hellraiser so like I said while I do still enjoy and I think I prefer the original design of the Hellraiser Cenobites I, I did really dig this this new look of theirs uh, not my favorite of the two but it is still 
really cool and really creepy. And that kind of brings us to the Cenobites. I, I wasn't sure how I was going to like this. Like I said, I, I did like the the patent leather outfits of the Cenobites. And I, I just love the, the design of the Cenobites in the original Hellraiser. They're very accurate for the most part to the novella, The Hellbound Heart from Clive Barker. And and it makes sense because Clive Barker wrote the screenplay for Hellraiser, the original one, and he directed it. So it's, of course, going to be exactly how he wants it. But I kind of, I wasn't sure I was going to feel about these redesigns, uh, especially with some of the uh, Cenobites that we know, like the Chatterer. Uh, his was kind of a redesign where, like, uh, from the shoulders up, it's flesh, but from the shoulders down, it's some uh, kind of amalgamation of flesh and machinery. I, I wasn't sure how I was going to like that, but I actually kind of, I kind of dig it. Again, my preference is always going to go towards the original, but I thought it was a really cool design, very interesting design. Uh, the female Cenobite, uh, that's all she was known as in the original Hellraiser. Uh, they had a version of that. I believe it. she has a name now, but but I'm not 100% sure what that is. But uh, but it's a very similar design to the, the original Hellraiser. But it's different, and it's it's a little more over the top. And at first, I was a little iffy on that, but it kind of grew on me. And they've introduced uh, there's no Butterball Cenobite, which I was a little disappointed. Maybe maybe if they do a sequel, we'll see the Butterball Cenobite. But they've got uh, other Cenobites: the Weeper, Gasp, Asphyx, Mask. Uh, they've got a bunch of different. They've given them all names now. And uh, I, I really didn't pay attention to who was who other than Pinhead. But the Cenobites all looked creepy. They were all... Uh, the movie takes place in a lot of darkness or not very well-lit areas, especially when they're outside. So I, I felt like other than Pinhead and the the female Cenobite, whatever she's called in this new movie, all the other ones, I, I just never felt like I got a good look at. There's like a, a couple that are featured. The Asphyx one, I think, is featured. So you get a good look at that. But there are, there are other ones that you just don't feel like you get a good look at them so you can tell what's going on. Because with the flesh peeled back and, and all these implementations, wires and pins and, and needles and things like that sticking out of them and you know, it's there's just so much to look at and take in and what's going on with these creatures that uh, there were some of them I just felt like I'd never got a good enough look at to tell what's going on. And a lot of the things going on with these Cenobites were, were a little more subtle. It wasn't like some of the later Hellraiser movies where there's fucking CDs and a TV camera sticking out of one of them's head. But I saved the best Cenobite for last because uh, we have a new pinhead or the lead Cenobite or the priest, whatever you want to call this character. I mean, more colloquially, we know him as Pinhead, but Jamie Clayton is now playing Pinhead in this reimagining of Hellraiser. And I, I know a lot of people kind of got up in arms about a different Pinhead. Like I said, Doug Pradley is always going to be the quintessential and the iconic Pinhead for me. I, you know, I, I grew up uh, in the late 70s and, and through the 80s when when Hellraiser was at its prime and and that's the Hellraiser I know and that's the Hellraiser I love and and that's the pinhead I know and love but that being said I was really open to the idea you know Doug Bradley can't play pinhead forever uh, so I, I was fine with them they're gonna do a reimagining of this 
of this film franchise and this story, why this is the perfect place to do uh, a new version of Pinhead. And they did that with Jamie Clayton. Uh, Jamie Clayton, if you're not familiar, I again, I'm not terribly familiar with Jamie Clayton's work, but uh, but I did uh, enjoy their work in Sense8. I saw the first thing of that. I don't think I ever really saw the second season of Sense8. Uh, it, it's one of those where I it, it, the second season came out and I never got a chance to watch it and... And then I just never watched it. I, I always keep meaning to go back and watch it. But Jimmy Clayton, uh, really good in that. And I really enjoyed their work in this because uh, Jimmy Clayton brought a almost creepier feel to Pinhead than Doug Bradley. I think Doug, Doug Bradley just has that voice. It's very commanding. Uh, when you hear Pinhead talk in the in the original Hellraiser or Hell, Hellbound Hellraiser 2 or any of the other ones that he was in, uh, it's a very commanding voice and a very, it's a very tension grabbing, like the bells you hear when you solve the, the LaMartian configuration. It's a voice that makes you stand at attention and like, oh shit, I'm in trouble. He's like, he's like the teacher when the class is being rowdy because the teacher's out of the, uh, out of the room and the teacher comes back to this cacophony and noise and paper being thrown and all sorts of shit going on in the classroom and he slams the desk and gets everyone at attention that is doug bradley's version of pinhead to me it's like when he speaks oh shit i better listen i'm fucked which i, I love that version of pinhead the Jamie Clayton version of Pinhead is a little more subtle. It's a little more whispery. It's a, a little more, I, I think I heard somebody describe it as uh, snake-like, very serpentine, very, maybe not laid back, but very reserved and kind of I'm watching you and watching your every movement and you never know when they're going to strike. And that's one of the things I like about both iterations of Pinhead because both of them have an air of mystery about the character. Now we had some of that mystery revealed to us in Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 and Hellraiser 3 as we went on. You had some of that mystery of Doug Bradley's version of Pinhead. Uh, are we going to get some sort of reveals about the Jamie Clayton version of Pinhead? Like I said, both both versions of Pinhead have this air of mystery about them and have this air of what what is going on with them? What are they all about? The Doug Bradley version of Pinhead uh, was very pragmatic, and you could you could almost bargain with him. Or you know, uh, in, in that version, the Cenobites didn't really feel like bad guys. Uh, they were more of like they said, uh, demons to some, angels to others. The only time they were bad is if you cross them. But that version of Pinhead could be bargained with and reasoned with to a degree. I don't think we really got that out of this version of Pinhead in the 2022 reimagining of Hellraiser. Uh, I mean, that's no comment on Jamie Clayton's performance. That's just in the writing. But I I'm really excited to see what we have to find out about this character in the future if they do uh, sequels to this this 2022 reimagining. But I really enjoyed Jamie Clayton's performance. It was very, like I said, it had an air of mystery about it. Uh, it had a it had a very sly, maniacal feel to the delivery and the performance. And ultimately, 
Uh, Jamie Clayton did what you need from this character. You need to fear it. You need to fear what it can do to you, what it can bring upon you. Uh, you got that with Doug Bradley in one way and the way he performed it, but you also you reach that same end with the Jamie Clayton performance, even though it is a completely different performance than, than Doug Bradley's. And, you know, I, I like that. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't a a mimic of Doug Bradley. It was Jamie Clayton doing their own performance, but still coming to the same end as you got in the creepy factor, in the unnerving factor, in the scare factor that, that you got with Doug Bradley. You got that same feel from Jamie Clayton's version of Pinhead. And another thing I really loved is the fact that throughout this whole movie, you didn't get a lot of jump scares. You had a lot of scares through atmosphere and the sound design and the the score I thought were, were really good. It felt like the score uh, that was performed by Ben Lovett, uh, you felt like you got notes of the original score from Christopher Young from the original Hellraiser. You felt like you got little sections and little notes throughout the the original score for this movie. And then when we kind of reached the climax at the Roland Voigt um, mansion, and then they kind of go into that full uh, Christopher Young Hellraiser theme from from the movie back in in 1987 that just brought chills down my spine and and brought that sense of nostalgia and and it kind of took me back to watching Hellraiser for the first time all those many years ago so I, I really dug the like I said the sound design was really cool really creepy uh the the score was 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 really good and kind of added to that atmosphere. I thought the the costume and the set design were really cool. I like the special effects for the most part. There were some CG effects that didn't quite do it for me, but uh, I, I don't know how much of the the sets were green screen or CG, and I don't know how many of them were practical. But the effects they did to open up the portals to this other dimension where the Cenobites come from was was really good and really effective. The effects they used for the puzzle box were really good. It looked like they used a lot of practical blood, which I, I'm always, I, I hate CG blood. Uh, I'm always happier when, when blood is used practically. Why, why can't you? Uh, I know it's probably a bitch to clean up, but... Uh, it, it just looks so much, much better than CG blood. And uh, there's just a, a lot to like about this. There were some things I didn't really like. And I, I really got to save it for the spoiler section. Because uh, there's there's just a lot that have to do with the puzzle box that I didn't care for. There was a lot of nods to other movies. And a lot of the things they changed about the lore. And, and the mythos of the Cenobites that I just didn't care for. And, and, and especially all the stuff that surrounded the box that was probably my biggest uh, grievance uh other than that i was disappointed that i really didn't like any of the characters i wasn't rooting for any of the characters i was rooting for riley just enough to want her to survive this whole thing but even if she even if riley would have died in the end and nobody walks away from this alive i'd have been fine with that too let the cenobites win they were the coolest thing uh, about the movie so there was a lot of things that i didn't care for with this movie there was a lot of nitpicky things i didn't care for this movie it wasn't terribly scary it was all atmosphere and things that made you uncomfortable and things that made that were a little unnerving 
thing, uh, especially when it comes to the gore factor. Now, it did have uh, a good amount, but not gratuitous gore. It had just enough gore to, to make you feel, like I said, uncomfortable, to kind of unnerve you a little bit. And while I didn't want a bunch of jump scares, I was just hoping it was going to be a little creepier and a little more scary. And another thing I, I didn't like, while I like the look of the Cenobites, I like some of the redesigns of the Cenobites. I didn't like how they treated the Cenobites. And we're going to talk about that a little more in the in the spoilery section. So all in all, I, I did like the movie. For as much as I bitch about certain aspects of it, I did enjoy the movie. I'm interested to see. I'm not like, ooh, wringing my hands, waiting with bated breath for for word of a sequel. Uh, if they don't do another sequel, I'll, I'll survive. Uh, but if they do a sequel to this, I'll be interested to watch it, to see what they do, see what they build on. Uh, like I said, I really did enjoy Jamie Clayton's performance as Pinhead, as this new reimagined Pinhead. Uh, I thought the redesign of the Cenobites was kind of cool and interesting, even though I do prefer the original look of the Cenobites. So there's there's a lot going on for this. It was, it was an enjoyable enough film to watch. Uh, although I did have my issues with it. And I have more issues we're going to talk about uh, when we go into the spoilery section. So if you haven't watched this, uh, check it out. Uh, and then maybe come back and listen to, to some of my more spoilery uh, critiques of the movie. And if you have watched it, uh, we'll proceed on to that. Or if you haven't watched it and you don't give a shit about spoilers, then, then come along for the ride. So one of my biggest gripes with this movie was the... Not the redesign of the box. I thought the box looked really cool. The puzzle box. They, you know, once upon a time, what was called the uh, Lamartian configuration. Now the configuration is just the, the, there's like six configurations and each configuration, the box goes into a different shape until it is that long kind of uh, diamond shape that it's in the shape of the God that the Cenobites worship in uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. And each shape is called a different configuration. Uh, the regular box, the cube, is the lament configuration. There's all sorts of different configurations. And once you complete all the configurations until you get that to that final one where it's that diamond shape and the shape of their god, then you essentially get... It's like a genie in the bottle. You get a wish granted. Although, as... as we find out that there's no wish granted by the Cenobites or their god that doesn't involve some sort of pain. But the thing I really didn't care for in this is that every time you solve the puzzle box and it goes into a different configuration, a little blade comes out and cuts you. And it gets your blood and it marks you and the Cenobites come to get you. But if you avoid the blade, you can stab somebody and get their blood on it. Or if you're like Roland Voigt, played by Gorn Viznich, I'm probably butchering his name. But uh, you, can, you can get somebody else to open the box and then you can reap all the rewards. Uh, it's just it, the, the new mechanics of how the box works was just a little money and just a little convoluted. Uh, we find uh, Riley trying to solve these configurations uh, so she can get her brother back. And other people are getting stabbed. She's getting stabbed. She's stabbing other people with the box. She's stabbing Cenobites with the box. That's another thing I didn't like. Uh, you could just stab a Cenobite and the Cenobites uh, would would come and rip them apart, and that's how we lost the Chatterer. I was like, that's that's one of the coolest original Cenobites from the, from the original story and movie. Why did you kill that one? I just didn't like the mechanics and the logistics of how they changed the 
the story of the box and how the box actually worked. It became less about uh, seeking out pleasure and more about the box being a tool to get your wishes granted. I just didn't like how they, they changed how the box worked and... It wasn't for the better. You know, I, I like how they changed the look of the Cenobites. It wasn't better than the original, but it was still good and still different. This, they changed the box and it wasn't better and it wasn't good. And it just kind of, it was just not confusing. It was just stupid. I, I hated the idea that this big, this blade pops out and cuts you. And it just, that's not what the box was about. Um, and I didn't like that at all. I didn't like how they also made the Cenobites could essentially appear whenever they wanted. Uh, not just because you opened the box or solved the puzzle. They could show up when they wanted and they were less about this group that, that shows up and they stand there and they interact with you and then they torture you with the chains and then pull you apart or eviscerate you or, or what have you. Uh, in this, they made the Cenobites like very active in like chasing people. They had chase scenes and they had Cenobites running after people and it just kind of cheapened the whole idea of the Cenobites. The Cenobites just always feel felt very regal and very much, uh, they don't get their hands dirty uh, unless it is inflicting pain. They don't chase people down. They send their chains from whatever dimension and they hook them into you and that's how they catch you. Uh, they don't run after you like a monster or Jason fucking Voorhees. So I didn't really care for the treatment of the Cenobites as just monsters to run after you. That's that's the one of the things I always liked about the Cenobites is because the Cenobites weren't like all the other slashers. They weren't some serial killer chasing down babysitters or chasing down camp counselors or you know chasing down a little kid to try and uh, perform some voodoo ritual transfer ritual uh, they they seemed a little more uh, sophisticated and uh, like I said a little more cerebral and this just kind of uh, diminished them to just being monsters chasing people and I, I didn't care for that at all now while I did care I, I did like the Roland Voigt character I thought Goran Viznich uh, I, like I said I'm probably butchering that name I'm sorry but I thought he he's a good actor I'm not really familiar with a lot of his work but he's an actor that just adds some some weight and some gravitas to the cast I mean this is a pretty young cast and he adds some some weight to it that I think it it needed and he really felt like a bad guy. He felt like a rich businessman who was up to no good. He does kind of talk about the the search for pleasure, and that's why he wanted the box. Uh, it, it played into the original concept of the box and what it was intended for, and the Cenobites, what they were intended for. I like the fact that he has been in hiding this whole time because he opened all the configurations of the box and got what he wanted, but... Like I said, there's no reward from the Cenobites that doesn't involve pain. And he, he wanted to undo what, what had been done to him. And he's using Trevor as his tool to to get the box and and start opening it and, and solving all the configurations. And that's how uh, Riley gets involved in this. The kind of switch that, that Trevor was in on this all the time and, and that he was the reason why Riley got involved in this because... Uh, he was, you know, essentially using her. She was a mark, as he said. Uh, you don't know if he ever really had feelings for her or if it was all just an act, but that kind of, uh, and, and I, I hate even calling it a heel turn because he wasn't a terribly 
good guy to begin with. He wasn't a bad guy, but this you know made him a definite bad guy uh, to a degree. That was interesting. Uh, the Roland Voigt character's involvement and coming back into the story uh, was interesting. It made the whole thing about Trevor trying to get this box and and inviting Riley along. It made that all make sense. And the the Roland Voigt character very much felt like a combination of Frank from the original Hellraiser movie and the Dr. Shenard character from the Hellbound Hellraiser 2 movie. Uh, you know, he's he's after this for pleasure, but then once he gets it, he's after it more for for power and what it can it can do for him. And much like the Dr. Shenard character from Hellbound Hellraiser 2, uh, we see that Roland Voigt is turned into a Cenobite at the end of it, which I'm sure we're going to see this new Cenobite uh, if there happens to be a sequel. And I didn't not like that aspect of this, the fact that they made the Roland Voigt character kind of a cross between Frank and Dr. Shenard, but uh, it, it did feel like they were recycling storylines from some of the other ones. And if this is supposed to be a remake, or if this is not supposed to be a remake, it's supposed to be a reimagining, why keep going back to that well? Uh, they also did that with the with the Cenobite God and Leviathan. I love the terminology they use. It's it's from terminology used in some of the other uh, sequels to Hellraiser, especially Hellraiser 2. It's like David Gordon Green doing three Halloween movies where he says he's going to disregard everything after Halloween 1 and then does nothing but reference uh, all the Halloween movies that he's supposedly disregarding. So, like I said, there's there's a lot I really don't care for about this movie, but there was enough that I liked that I I I enjoyed it well enough. Uh, I, I know by all the bitching I've done about certain aspects of it, you'd think I'd hate it, but I actually did enjoy it to a degree. There was enough good things about it. Odessa Zion, she did a good job uh, with a character that didn't help you like it very much, and she made that character uh, likable, at least a little bit sympathetic with her good performance. I thought she did a great job. Uh, Jamie Clayton was really good in this as well as the new pinhead. Uh, like I said, the other the other actors all did really good jobs. Uh, just the characters weren't written very well, um, and and the directing. I I'm I love David Bruckner. Uh, I loved his work in the VHS anthology back in 2012. I love the ritual. I really liked Nighthouse. And I, I liked what he did with this Hellraiser well enough. Uh, I, I liked the look of it. Uh, I liked the fact that he did not do a bunch of shitty jump scares. I liked that it was all atmosphere and all that kind of unnerving aspects of the Cenobites and the horror of not being able to quite see what you think you might be seeing. Uh, there was a lot of good horror aspects to this. I just think some of the things that failed in this movie was in the writing. And like I said, I, I, my only problem with the direction and the, the vision of the movie was the fact that uh, there were some of the Cenobites that just were never really lit that well. And I, I just couldn't tell what was going on. And that's probably one of the more interesting things about the Cenobites is, is what's going on with all this, the skin peeled here and there and you know uh, rods and things you know poking out of them that's that's interesting and i never really felt like i got a good visual on 
on some of the Cenobites. So all in all, I, I really did for all of its faults. And there are many faults with this movie. I did enjoy it. It was a creepy movie, a lot of atmosphere, not necessarily a lot of scares, but I respect the fact that they didn't throw in a bunch of jump scares to make up for that. But it was creepy, atmospheric, and it did kind of make you feel uncomfortable a lot of times with the not overdone gore of it. And I enjoyed this well enough that, you know, uh, if they do a sequel to this, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to be watching it because I'm, you know, on the on the power of Jamie Clayton's performance, on the power of Odessa Zion's performance, I'm interested to see another chapter of this story. And I like David Bruckner as a filmmaker that uh, I'm always interested to see what he's got coming up. So I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to my thoughts on the new Hellraiser 2022. Check out Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook. We're always posting trailers to the latest uh, movies and series. Series. We're always posting articles on the horror, fantasy, and science fiction that you know and love. I always like to add my two cents and my thoughts on uh, whatever I happen to be posting about. So uh, check that out. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, please subscribe to it, follow it, download the episodes, share it with anyone you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you leave will certainly be appreciated. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!